Dear God, I thank you for each person here. We are grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. We're grateful for the season that uh, points us towards generosity and, and other positive things, giving, but most importantly, it points us to your son and the great gift that he is and what he offers in his salvation. Lord, we are so grateful for that. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to respond to you. Lord, we, um, we just pray for each person here that the Spirit would do his work among us. I just pray for families as they gather. Sometimes this is a hard time of year. I pray for those who are grieving, those who um, maybe there are, there are conflicts in their families. And so I just pray for this to be a coming together and for there to be progress and blessing and just to focus on your son. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If it helps you with your learning style, there is an outline in the bulletin. I encourage you to pull that out and you can follow along with that if that's something that's helpful to you. So when I think about the uh, story of Jesus coming to Bethlehem, you know, it really does resonate with a lot of people. Now, I'm sure this wasn't true during the COVID years, but uh, I am re I've read this week that typically, in a typical year, almost 2 million people will make some kind of trip, pilgrimage to Bethlehem. And they will go to this uh, church that's built on the site that we believe is the traditional site where we, we think Jesus was born, and it's a church in the Nativity. And I got to go back when I was in seminary, along with like 50 other seminary students from across the country. And one of the things that stood out to me is when we got to Bethlehem, and we're about to go into the church in the Nativity, and go in, you know, kind of this place where we think about this incredible gift of God the Son, uh, taking on flesh, becoming fully human, and you know this incredible path of dependence that he did because he loved us. And as you walk up to the, the place, the door is incredibly low, and you have to bow or kneel to get into the church. And I assume that is still true today. And I just want you to think about that. And I asked the guide about it, and he said, he said well, it's appropriate that as you approach Jesus Christ, that everybody kneels, that everybody bows the head. And so uh, as we think about that, um, I want you to think about this particular uh, passage we're going to look at. I know it's pretty familiar. I know that uh, maybe you've read it many, many times, but try to kind of set some of that aside and listen to it with fresh ears, look at it with fresh eyes, and just let it let the impact of this passage hit you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Now, if this were a music, uh, like a, a, a video or a movie, there'd be dark, ominous music at the name of King Herod. He's a wicked, evil king. Magi, so these wise men, these astronomers, these scholars from the East, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. Now, there's a lot about the star, and a lot of ink has been spilled on it, and some, I just watched this week a, a video, and this guy had really studied, and, and they have this computer-generated software that, that uh, program that will uh, kind of try to show you what the sky was like at certain times in history, and they're like, okay, these two planets, they, they kind of, come at the same time and it makes looks like this big star and there there's all this ink spilled on this but i think 
I think as I look at this, this is a miracle from God. It, I think for the Jewish reader, which is who Matthew is really writing for primarily, is the Jewish community. Uh, the Gospels had different focuses, who they were aimed at. And for them, I think the Jewish reader immediately goes back to the great exodus, where the Jews are freed from slavery, and then for all those decades, all those years, the people of God are led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And so I think the star is something like that. It's, it's this light that God leads his people, leads these, these Gentile wise men to come and acknowledge Jesus. So when they saw his star, when it rose and have come to worship him, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. See, he was all about power. This is a threat to him. And just so you understand, he was, I mean, he would kill his own sons. He killed several of his own sons that he thought might be a threat to his kingship. Killed his favorite wife, um, killed political opponents. I mean, he was a wicked, wicked man. So uh, King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Well, when King Herod gets disturbed, people die, so all of Jerusalem's disturbed. They're like, oh no, what is Herod going to do? He's a maniac. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea. There's more than one Bethlehem, so it's the one in Judea. Remember, um, this is the town of David. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And the prophet he's specifically talking about is Micah. Um, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will... Um, shepherd my people Israel. So fulfilling prophecy is very important to Matthew, writing to Jewish people, prepared people, people who have seen these many, many prophecies. Some say, I've never gone and counted them all. Some say there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills in the New Testament or will fulfill by the time it's all said and done. And so, because there's still some with the second coming. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So he's a big fat liar. That is not what he wants to do. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child. Now, this is a little later, so they're, they're staying in a house. Yes, they're still in Bethlehem, but Jesus could be a toddler at this point. It's a different word than like the famous Luke passage, uh, which would indicate an infant. And so this, they come a little later, even though we kind of compress nativity scenes and have the wise men there. Um, this is a little later incident than when the shepherds come and all of that. Um, also, in this culture, you would mention the mother first and then the child. But notice the significance and notice the different order here. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Notice this response of worship. Not just respect, but worship. Uh, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, if you keep reading in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see that Herod 
not only um, views this as a threat, he, it is a threat he is willing to act on and to eliminate. And so he actually will order a massacre of all the little boys to and under in Bethlehem. So that's coming if you keep reading. And one of the things that stands out, particularly to a Jewish reader, when you read through the Gospel of Matthew, is they are watching, one of the prophecies is they are watching for a prophet like Moses. And if you think about Moses and the story of Moses in the book of Exodus, if you remember, uh, an evil king tried to wipe out all the Jewish boys, but Moses was spared. And here we have an evil king wipes out a bunch of the Jewish boys, but the Messiah was spared. That's just one of the ways that he's like Moses. And so that, that little thread would tie together for a Jewish reader. So when I read this passage, and I know it's hard. I know it's familiar. I know maybe you've you know, read it 50 times or 100 times. But I just want to pull out a few ideas. First idea is this. Christmas is surprising. Christmas is surprising. The plan that God comes up with to save us, I find surprising. I think it's a little shocking. If you had uh, taken the children of Adam and Eve and said, all right, let's, let's form a committee, let's figure out how in the world to save humanity, I don't think the plan would have involved, you know, here we send this baby, that God descends, sets aside the prerogatives of deity for a time, lives life on our terms as a human, offers that life on a cross, and through and then rises from the dead, and then that's how we're forgiven. Um, but God thinks differently than we do. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God loves to do the impossible. God loves to do the surprising. I think of Abraham and Sarah. So God says, okay, so I'm going to establish a nation from which this Messiah is going to come. Let's go to Abraham and Sarah uh, she's barren, she can't have children, that sounds about right. Let's do that. And let's bring forth this, you know, thousands of people um, in this nation through Abraham and Sarah. And so they have this miracle child, Isaac. And then you see later, you see God doing this, you know, working with the doing miracles and working it forward and making the plan happen. He gets all the way right before Jesus with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Elizabeth couldn't have children. And so um, God creates the forerunner, um, John, the Baptist, and does another miracle there. And then it's like, okay, so it almost feels like he's showing off at this point, but he's like, okay, Joseph and Mary, Mary's a virgin. Let's give her the child. Let's make him the Messiah. Let's have this work out. And so God the Son sets aside those prerogatives of deity, becomes Jesus, fully human, fully divine, and he is going to walk it out perfectly, never sinning one time. And so it's just amazing. He sends the star of Bethlehem in our text, this miraculous thing that happens. And so I want you to stop and kind of step back and think about this Christmas season. What surprising, maybe even impossible thing am I longing for? What do I hope that God would do in my life or our lives? And I would encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. Now, when I look at this text, and I try to set aside how familiar it is, what surprises me? Well, I think Joseph and Mary don't look like much. They're peasants. You know, it just, it just surprises me. You see, a king 
massacring just because there's some kind of threat. It's a, ba- it's a baby, Herod. I mean, and so you look at our text and you see um, how God can work through history to bring forth this Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And so you have this idea, you know, he is going to come as a descendant of King David, who is the son of Jesse. And it looks like at times, you look like the the genealogy, the descendants of David, it looks like they're going to get cut off at different points. But God always brings forth a shoot so he can bring forth this Messiah. There is always hope. And I think if you try to, you know, kind of make some kind of personal application, you know, when do you feel like a stump? When do you feel cut off? When do you feel like life has, has ruined what's going on? Maybe as you head into the, the Christmas season, you have some real relational challenges. Maybe you're up to your neck in grief. And Christmas is the first time without that loved one, and it's really hard. When do you feel like that stump? But God comes along, and there's this shoot of hope that he does. Now, I'm always amazed at Christ coming with this weakness, in this smallness. And yet, that's exactly what we need for the sinless life and for the sacrifice that can save us. You know, no other faith system, no other philosophy says that God came in the flesh. This this doctrine, this wonder of the incarnation, set aside how familiar it is, it's absolutely stunning. Fully God, fully man. I know it's a goofy thing, it's not the best metaphor, but um, maybe you watch the, you know, the genie movie and Robin Williams is the genie. And he talks about ultimate cosmic power. And he says, itty bitty little space, living space. You know, and he goes into the, the genie's lamp. Not the perfect illustration, but a little bit of a glimpse. Think of the trek that God the Son has to make to become totally dependent as a baby. I'm just amazed by it. And so Christmas is surprising. I think God is surprising. He's always working. He's always doing, um, even though there's 7 billion people, he hears your prayers. He knows your life. And he's working things together. I read about Gary Ponson. He was a 44-year-old. He was far from God. Went out with his friend. They were fishing right uh, right about Christmas. His name was Mac. And the two of them, their boat overturned. It was kind of, uh, there was lots of waves. It was really pretty stormy. And they're hanging on. They had this, um, it wasn't deep, deep, but um, Jerry, he could have probably gotten away. He could have probably made it to shore, but his friend Mac wasn't going to make it. But they had this big pole that they would use when the boat would get stuck. And so they were kind of, you know, kind of had planted that. It was super long, and and they were able to kind of hang on to that and just kept hoping for a boat, hoping for some help. And Jerry, who was, you know, an atheist at the time and did not believe in God, as a matter of fact, would cuss out his sister, who'd become a Christian whenever she approached him about faith. And Jerry said, out of absolute desperation, he just, you know, they'd been out there for two hours. He's like, Mac is not going to make it. And he just cries out and he, he like yells to God. He says, please send me a boat. Please send us a boat. Please give me a second chance. 
And within minutes, a boat sees them, comes to them, and they pull him, you know, they pull him and his friend up into the boat, and he looks down, and the name of the boat is literally Second Chance. And God does crazy stuff like that. One author I was reading, uh, Squire Rushnell calls them God winks. And I like that term. God winks at you. God moments. So there's nothing too big or too small that God can do in his sovereignty. And just as we see in the story of Jesus, the story of sending Messiah, God's sovereign hand is always working towards his purposes. So that's the first idea is that Christmas, I find it surprising. The second idea is that Christmas is for all. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 of our text, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. These are Gentiles. These are not Jews, as far as we can tell. These are Gentiles. Now, there may have been some influence because the area they came from might have been that kind of Babylonian, Persian area, and maybe uh, Daniel, you know, many, many, many years before was this incredible wise man who had a profound ministry uh, in that area. And some have speculated that he created a school of wise man and, and passed down some of his knowledge and got them to focus on the Hebrew scriptures and not just the stars and science and all that. And so notice that these wise men from the East, these Gentiles, are so receptive to God that when he gives them this miraculous invitation, they go. They're excited. They're responsive. And if you're reading this, remember this book is written to a Jewish audience first and foremost. This is a bit of a rebuke to a Jewish audience. Because as you read this story, they go first to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, which makes sense. That's where you'd expect to find royalty. You'd expect to find, you know, a king being born in, in a palace or in a, you know, in the in the noble section of town. And they go and they, they're told, oh no, you have to go to Bethlehem, which is five, six miles away. And so these Gentiles who have traveled maybe hundreds of miles, we don't know exactly, they come to Jerusalem, they're told, oh, you need to go this this last little bit. And notice in this text the absolute silence. None of the Jewish leaders, none of, you know, because this, this is public. I mean, these we think of it being three wise men. It was probably a big processional of wise men. I mean, the whole town was aware of this. And it doesn't say, and a bunch of the Jewish people went, well, we're going to go check this out too. The prepared people, God had worked with them century after century and they wouldn't walk five miles to check this out. So you see, Christmas is for all, and you see incredible responsiveness from those that the Jews would have said are far from God. And those that had been prepared, the Jewish people, indifference. They shrug their shoulders. Christmas means anyone can have fellowship with God if they will respond. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
these gifts, which we already heard a little about, but they all point to the idea that this gift of Jesus is for everybody. Gold is that he's king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. This is a gift. He is, he's gonna, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is eventually going to confess him as Lord and Savior. You can do it now for salvation. You can do it later for condemnation if you don't respond before he returns. Frankincense is this priestly, you know, they used it in the temple. They used it in worship. Frankincense was this priestly role. And a priest brings God and man together through sacrifice. And so this priestly role, and Jesus is going to do this. He's going to bring God and man together. And then the last idea, which I'm sure Mary was like, really? You brought embalming spices? How about diapers? You know, aren't there some better, better options here? But it pointed to his death. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love the world. Jesus died for all. Not everybody responds. Not everybody takes advantage of the gift. But Jesus died for all. And God's always working to get that message out. That he cares about everyone. was reading uh, Candy Chan talked about being at her child's winter pageant. And... Not every public school does this, but this particular public school had scrubbed all the Jesus, all the religious stuff out of the Christmas gathering. You know, it was a, it was a winter pageant, and everything had been scrubbed. So it's all Santa, secular stuff, and that's all it was. And she said she watched her child in this, in this pageant, and they sang different songs. She said it was fun. It was, it was delightful in many ways. And she said, but I loved the last song. And the last song was a song called Christmas Love. And they gave some of the children uh, you know, big letters that spelled out Christmas love. And as the song progressed, each child was supposed to flip over their letter and spell out Christmas love. Well, one little girl messed up. She was the M in Christmas love, and she had hers, she flipped it over, and it was upside down, and it was a W. And so the message that was given in that thoroughly scrubbed of Jesus program was Christ was love. Isn't that fun? Christmas is for all. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is this, and this isn't probably on any Christmas cards, but I think it's important, and you see it in this passage. You see it as you read through the Gospel of Matthew. Christmas causes conflict. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. When they came and they said, there's another king, that upset King Herod. There is real evil in the world. We have a real live enemy. He's named Satan. He's a fallen angel. He has people who follow him. There is um, war. There is war. And Jesus' coming causes conflict. Herod was not a good man. He was a wicked man. He made them call him Herod the Great, which I think is a bit narcissistic. And he did a lot of building. He had even worked on the, the temple did lots of buildings. You can still see some of the ruins of what he did. And he was known for that. 
but he was also incredibly paranoid about his power. He would uh, kill sons if he thought they were a threat. One of the Caesars is um, reported as saying that it was better to be a pig in Herod's house than to be one of his sons. He was so wicked that he knew, because they viewed him as a usurper, the Jews didn't like him, even though he built some projects and in some ways did some good for the nation, they, he wasn't even Jewish. He was a descendant of Esau. He was an Edomite. And they, most, for the most part, hated him. And he knew he was hated. And so his plan was they gathered kind of the um, most well-known citizens of Jerusalem. And he, he had them all arrested on trumped-up charges when he knew he was about to die. And the orders that he gave his soldiers were... Um, I want my day of death not to be a day of celebration, but a day of tears, and I know they won't cry for me. You're to execute every one of these leading citizens of Jerusalem on the day I die. I mean, this is narcissism like, my goodness. Now, the good news is, when he died, the soldiers weren't scared of him anymore, and they didn't do it. They released him. And so guess what? It was a day of celebration not a day of tears. Christmas causes conflict. Jesus steps into a world where the Caesars claim to be, guess what? King of kings and Lord of lords. They claim to be gods. And Jesus says, oh no. I'm king of kings and Lord of lords. And so, Christmas, the coming of Christ, causes conflict. One author said, Christmas is both wondrous and threatening. You walked in, if you came through the middle aisle today, you walk under a statement by Jesus where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Quote that in some ecumenical meeting with Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and atheists. Jesus stands alone as Lord and Savior. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. That's why statements, he makes statements like this. Matthew 10, 34. Jesus said, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he does bring peace between sinful man and God for those who will accept him as Lord and Savior. But notice... Jesus causes conflict. Read through the Gospels. And they tried to kill him at different times. They tried to malign him. I mean, he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's almost comical. So he raises Lazarus from the dead, and the leaders get together and they're like, okay, so we've got to kill Jesus and Lazarus. I'm like, he raised him from the dead. You really think your plan's going to work? You really think this is, this is going to work out well for you? Timothy Keller says this, the Christian faith is not a negotiation but a surrender. It means to take your hands off your life. Christmas is very popular because Jesus is a baby. It's not threatening. But understand the claim is King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. The problem is, while we would not embrace his full evil and his narcissism, there's a little Herod in everybody's heart where life is about me, life is about my power. And so if you look at this passage, you see three responses to Jesus. Herod, hostile rejection. The Jewish religious leaders, indifference. And finally, the magi, the ones you don't expect, who came all this way, they respond with worship. And so the question is, how will you respond to the coming of Jesus? How will you respond to Christmas? And thinking back to when I went to the church in the Nativity, isn't it time you bow? So the big idea this morning is, Wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. I encourage you to follow Christ, to come to Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the incredible gift that is Jesus, but also the incredible challenge that he is. Lord, help us to see him fully, not just as a baby, not just as a child, but as King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season we would go deeper in our own faith and that we would share it with others. Inviting someone to an event like today or the candlelight service or just sitting down over coffee and telling someone about the, the person of Christ, the sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, and offering them the hope of heaven. Lord, I just pray that you will guide each of us in this season, that you will comfort, encourage, strengthen, and lead us, that we will be led by your wisdom, that we will be like these wise men who paid any price, any inconvenience, in order to experience Jesus. This is our prayer in the name of your Son. Amen.